We've been in this series over the last couple weeks, and we're going to continue it for a couple more. Our DNA as a church. What is our DNA? And I've learned this, um, that your DNA over time really doesn't change. From the time you were born to the time that you die, there are little elements. I was doing enough research to find there are some things that adjust that might change, but your overall DNA, who you are when you were born, your DNA is the same when you die. We can know that about you. It doesn't change. And I see that in church as well. At least for us here, who we are is who we are. There's some things that we're not going to change because society around us changes or something happens to us. We are going to be the same. Our DNA stays the same. Now, there are some elements that over time we might adjust some things here and there, but there's something about who we are as a church that makes us unique. And this is where we went with it. Discover, develop, and deploy. When you hear about Crestview, our goal, our mission, and what we do is to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's what we're all about, helping people grow in their relationship with Jesus. We do that by helping you discover, helping you develop, and helping you deploy. Now, um, we've done this the last couple weeks. We did discover, and I stood up here and taught you how to discover Christ in one verse on a napkin. If you miss that, go back online. You can um, watch that. How, how to discover Jesus with one verse on a napkin. You write it out, a little illustration. You can share it with somebody else. It's a great way to discover. Last week, Jared Guerin, um, our associate pastor, came up and talked about develop, how we grow. And he talked about our small groups, how you grow spiritually. You get connected. It's beyond just Sunday morning. It's connecting throughout the week and growing in that. One of the other things he talked about was getting plugged in here at the church. How do you serve? And serving here helps you grow in your faith. It, it puts you in a different element and you can grow through that. You can develop. Um, whether it's in our kids' classes, he handed out some of these. I think there's still some hanging around. Maybe in the lobby, we still have some of these. Um, whether it's in our kids' classes, our youth group, um, praying, we'd love for you to, to be praying. There's, we, we try and have every service, we try and have somebody from our church. I'm usually over in my office. They're setting praying for this service, praying for you, praying for me, praying for our worship time. Even getting plugged in like that. Could you be one of those people? How do you get plugged in with us, and how do we grow? That's, that's developed. So we discover, we develop, and then we deploy. When we talked about this years ago, we said deploy. But man, that's not a very positive word around this community, is it? That's usually a negative thing. But here's where we went with this. You usually don't have to explain deployment. You get it. You understand what this means. So let's put it in those terms, okay? Basic training would be discovery, you understand the military, you sign up for it, you go to basic training, and you learn what you're supposed to know as you get into it. That's discovery. When you get stationed at a post somewhere like Fort Riley, you come and you, you work there. That's development. You're developing your skills here, understanding what you're supposed to do while you're stationed here at this post. And then deployment is, yeah, nine months, a year, 18 months, somewhere else. You leave here and go put into action what you've discovered and what you've developed. It's action. You're now using that and you're putting it into action. That's what this whole thing's about. So here's another way to approach this and to look at it. I know some of you are like this. You, you have something like this. Something that you've purchased. Something that, it, that you've bought. Something that you've made. Something that you have created and you've never used it. <laughs> right? Easy example. Maybe this fits more of us than we'd like to admit, right? Um, a gym membership. 
All right, that's what I'm talking about here. You've spent money on this thing. Maybe you've gone to the gym to check it out and to see where all the equipment's at so that when you do go, you're ready for it. But have you used it as much as you really want to? Maybe it's a gym membership. Here's another one I learned about this week. Maybe, maybe some of you know this. If you've ever lived close to this or you know history in the United States, um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, there is actually a subway system that they built but never used. Back in the 1920s, they created, they came up with this plan, I like this up in the corner, a dream abandoned, right? They made this subway system all throughout Cincinnati. Um, It was almost complete. And this was back then, the the depression came and they got to a point where they couldn't finish. It was so close to being done and being used. Pretty much, I mean, it was done. It never got used. They say it's the largest abandoned subway system in the United States. Right? How sad is that? To have something that was discovered, that was developed, and never put into practice, never used. How sad is that? So that's what deployment's all about. When we talk about this here at Crestview, it's not just a place to come and get fed. It's a place where we say, no, we're, we're here to be together. But man, our goal is to use it. What you have discovered in Christ, what you have developed in your faith, you put into action. You do something with it. That's what deployment is all about. So here's where we're going. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there might be some on the tables on either side of the room. I see a couple over there. We don't have any over there. Um, Grab a Bible. Share it with somebody. Get your phone out if you want. Get your Bible app open. You can go there. Um, Bible app, Luke. It's the third book in the New Testament. One of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter 10. Now this story that I'm getting ready to read to you, it's a story that maybe you've heard before. Even if you're not a big churchgoer, you've probably heard of this story. If you are a big churchgoer, you're like, don't they do this one like twice a year at every church? This is something we do. It is. It's a common story um, that oftentimes we go back to. And I want, I want to unpack this And maybe you haven't heard it in this element or this way before, so we can look at it this way. Here it is, the Good Samaritan. Verse 25, Luke 10. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying... So this is Jesus having a conversation with a lawyer. The lawyer's trying to corner him to get him to say something tricky so that he can say, see, I told you, you're not right. And he said to him this way, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a pretty big question, right? And he said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And Jesus is good at that, you know, kind of playing this game with him. So the lawyer answered, well, you shall love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Good answer. Almost impossible to do, right? And he said to him, Jesus said, you've answered correctly. If you do this, you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, I got you, right? Who's my neighbor? You know, I like this about lawyers. Um, Do you guys know the difference between a good lawyer and a great lawyer? A a good lawyer knows the law. A great lawyer knows the judge. It's a (laughs) critical, critical line um, in that. You got to know the difference. So here's this guy talking to Jesus. Jesus comes back and he says, all right, you think you got me. 
I want to tell you a story, and Jesus does this so well, and we can learn some lessons from this story. Verse 30, Jesus told him, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which tells us what kind of man this was, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road when he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to this place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came down to where this man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, which was to say he was helping um, cleanse his wounds, helping to start the healing process. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, he took out enough money to pay for it, and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And Jesus asked this question to the lawyer then. Which of these three do you think provided, or sorry, proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, it's correct. Go and do likewise. So here's a guy walking down the road, as I said, you can tell what kind of man it was. He was a Jew. He was going from this place to this place. Somebody robbed him, beat him up, took all his stuff, left him for dead in the ditch. There's different avenues we can take for this story. I've preached it before. You've probably heard lessons on it before, maybe, and different ways we can get lessons from it. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to treat people? Maybe we've been all of these people at different times in our life. You might be thinking, I've never been beaten up, robbed, and left in a ditch. Okay, maybe not physically, but what about emotionally? What about spiritually? Have you ever felt like this, guys, at some point, at some time in your life? Has this ever happened to you where you feel like you're the one in the ditch and everybody's just walking by you and you're hurting and you're in pain and you need some help? Maybe we're one of the people that have walked by Again, I, okay, I've never beat anybody up, robbed them, and left them in the ditch, right? Or driven by really fast. Like maybe, maybe we have. We've seen that actual physically, physical person laying there, and we didn't help. But maybe it's someone else, emotionally beat up, spiritually beat up, and we've said, I don't have time. I don't have time for this. I got to get going. I got to get here. I got to do this. I got to go. I don't have time for their problems. And maybe we've stopped. Maybe we've been the one that has stopped and and looked into it and said, maybe I'm the one that's supposed to help, and we've been there. There's different avenues we can take with this story. But I have to look at it and say, then why didn't they? Why didn't the priest help? Why didn't the Levi stop and help? I can only assume, because we don't know this by just reading the story, but I can only assume that they wanted to. I believe in the decency of the human heart. I think everybody wants to help at some point in their lives. I want to help all these people, but how can I? So I'm there. Sometimes I can sympathize with that religious leader. And you would expect that from me, right? I I can understand this. He maybe had a hard couple days, a big schedule, a lot of counseling. He had been praying. He'd been offering sacrifice. He's been doing the management of the temple and getting everything ready. Maybe he walked 18 holes that day and he was tired. I don't know what pastors do all the time, right? What, what was it? I don't know. But he didn't. He didn't stop and help. 
And maybe he had a good excuse. If you don't know this about priests at that time, um, if they were to touch a dead person, they would become unclean. So he might have seen this guy in the ditch that he's already there, almost there. And if I start to help him and he dies while I'm helping him and I touch him while he's dying and he dies and I'm unclean and this process that it takes to be cleansed again so that I can go back to work in the temple is just more than I can take right now and I'm too busy for this. And so what noise? I don't hear any noise and keep on walking. The Levite would have been kind of in the same shoes. Um, do I understand this? As I do some research on this passage, probably was like an understudy to the priest. Maybe he stayed behind at the temple doing a little extra cleanup work after the priest had left. And I mean, he's busy. He's got to get home. He's got some stuff to take care of. He's young. He might have a second job. I don't know. He's just working hard. And he, he says, I don't have time to stop. I can't. I've got a long list of things to do. And so he keeps moving on the other side as well. And I know I've made those same excuses. I know I've thought the same things. Here's what I learned from this. They did nothing. I don't know why, but they just did nothing. And if you're like me, I've learned this in life as well. It's easier sometimes just to do nothing. And you get results. You do. You get results from doing nothing. If you have a garden at home, whether it's a flower garden or a vegetable garden, you know how to turn your garden um, into a forest? You do nothing. That, and you can have this you know, beautiful creation out there that's overgrown just by doing nothing. Um, you want your children to grow up to be druggies and alcoholics and abusive adults? You know what you do? Nothing with them. You just let them go, and you don't read to them, you don't teach them, you don't love on them, you don't spend time with them, and if you don't do anything with them, if you do nothing, they'll grow up to be something, right? Nothing gets us down the wrong path. You want to change your joy into misery? Do nothing about your own spiritual life, your own health, your own um, ambitions. Do nothing, and you'll turn into misery, what about your marriage? You know, your marriage, you want to kill your marriage? Do nothing. Don't spend time with them. Don't encourage them. Don't serve them. Take advantage of your spouse. And guess what? Pretty soon, your marriage won't be there if you just do nothing. Nothingness is deadly. You'll lose lose your testimony, you'll lose your life, you'll lose your joy, you'll lose your family if you just do nothing. But thank goodness we don't just do nothing at times. And we have somebody in the story that decided to do something. And it was a Samaritan. A Samaritan comes along. Now this man, the Samaritan, was not his physical neighbor. It wasn't the person that lived next door to him. Physically, these two would have been at odds. A Jew and a Samaritan would have been at odds. The Jews had been conquered back in the Babylonian time by the Samaritans. The Samaritans had taken over and they had infiltrated this group of people and then started to intermarry and they mixed and it wasn't what they both wanted. It's just a mess of relationships and they were enemies really to each other. He shouldn't have stopped 
He doesn't like him. If we were talking cowboys and Indians, like we're in weird kids, right? It'd be like an Indian finding a cowboy in the ditch on the side of the road. If we're talking politics, it'd be like Obama finding Rush Limbaugh in the ditch, right? That's as far as I'm going with that. I'm going to leave it there, okay? Sports, it'd be like a um, wildcat finding a Jayhawk in the ditch. And we're like, crazy bird, I'm just walking on, right? doesn't matter. And that's the question. Who's your neighbor? Who's your na- it doesn't matter if your enemies or not. Who's your neighbor? So we read in the story, and this is the list that I came up with. This is what I see in this. Your neighbor is this. It's the person that will show compassion. The person that shows compassion, that's a neighbor. And not the person that shows pity. Jesus didn't say, and he had pity on him. He felt sorry for him. He showed compassion to him. It's a heart thing, not just a physical reach out and help someone. I I feel for you. My heart breaks for you. And not just pity, sorry. I'm compassionate to the person that needs me. That's when I become a neighbor to them. Then he reached out and he had made contact with him. There, there has to be some kind of contact. We can't, we can't offer this help from afar. You know, I hope you can do better. Um, here you go. You've got to get in with them and do life with them and help them and help change them. He might have had a legitimate excuse. He probably had a better excuse than the other two guys before him. But love, when it comes to compassion, love doesn't look towards obstacles. Love looks towards opportunities. What am I going to do? And am I, am I noticing these things? Can I figure this out? What am I supposed to do in this? Compassion, contact, and then care. It shows care. Verse 34, he, he showed him care. He did something. Didn't just talk about it. You see how this whole story started was a lawyer that just wanted to talk. Let's just talk about it. Let's just have meetings and try and talk about what we can do and how we can do it and whether we're doing it the right way or not. It's more than just talk. Care is putting something into action. Jesus said it, then go and do. Make it happen. This is this one as well. The last one on this is cost. It cost him something. And it wasn't just a physical dollar cost, although that was part of it. The cost was also his time. He had to stop. He had to put him on his own animal. He had to go spend some time in um, a hotel with him to try and get him better. He spent time with him. It cost him time, but it also cost him some resources. His own real dollars. It could have helped him pay bills or helped him go out to eat or helped him and his family. And it, it cost him something. Oftentimes for me, that's the excuse. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I'm not willing to make a sacrifice in my own life to help somebody or to help a ministry. And I've learned this enough in ministry. A ministry that costs nothing usually accomplishes nothing. Whether it's time or resources or actual dollars, it usually costs something to make something happen. And this story, it's not about what we believe It's not about what we talk about. It's not about what we think about. It's not about what we sing about. That was discovery. Discovery is about some theology and understanding who Jesus is. That's discovery. We discover Jesus and and who he is. That's belief. That's faith. Then we grow that. That's develop. 
We develop that. We, we study. We dig deeper into his word. We pray more. We have this relationship with God, and we develop that. This story is about action. We do something. And Jesus said it right there at the end, verse 16, in the same way. Sorry, in Matthew five sixteen, Jesus said it. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see what? Your good deeds, what you do. Your good deeds don't bring you salvation. Your faith in Christ brings you the salvation. What he did for you and the discovery of that. What we do is in response to the salvation that we've received, not in order to get that salvation. Do good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus says it at the end of this story. Then go and do likewise. So here's where I get caught, all right? Here's a good story. I love this story, the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you haven't, but you already know it. Um, you've not heard it in church, but when you hear the words Good Samaritan, you know what it means. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it, and you're like, oh, that's where that term comes from. I've always understood it. It means to, means to help someone, be a Good Samaritan, help somebody out, right? Why am I standing up here saying it's part of our DNA when everyone can do it? In fact, everyone should do it. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God and Jesus, shouldn't we all be this person? It's just good human nature to treat each other this way. What makes us unique? Why are we different in this? Don't all churches teach this? How come Crestview's different in this? Why is this part of our DNA? First, number one thing, the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. The Holy Spirit with us going out to do this. There is a reason why this story is different coming from Jesus than it is coming from social justice or just being a good person. It's because we leave here with the power of the Holy Spirit and that's how we get out to serve. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. It, the Holy Spirit with me in my life, when I leave here on a Sunday morning, when I leave here into the world, when I leave and, and deploy, the Holy Spirit helps me understand who needs my help. When I hear that voice, when I hear that cry for need, am I the one that's supposed to stop and help? Am I the one that needs to do that? The Holy Spirit teaches me who my neighbor is. So that I'm understanding of that. Some, and then the Holy Spirit helps me understand how to help them. Some people just need a prayer. Hey, I just need you to pray with me. Well, I was going to give you 20 bucks, but if all you need is prayer, you know, I'll just pray with you. That's easy. Or the Holy Spirit says, no, they just need some gas money. That's really all they need. You know, just help them out with, some, with a little cash, and they'll, they'll be good. They'll be grateful for that. Or the Holy Spirit says they need advice. Devin helped them with advice. The Holy Spirit teaches me then how to help this person. And you know what? I cannot deploy out of here without the Holy Spirit. Let's go here. I love this. If, if you still have your Bibles open, if you're still there, if you have your phones out, Bible app, go all the way to Exodus. Right, let's leave Luke. We're going to leave Luke um, the rest of the time. Exodus chapter 33. Second book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus chapter 33. I love this. Um, very convicting on me. And I hope it is for you this morning. Exodus 33. Um, this is Moses. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. Okay. And I want to read verses 1 through 3 to you. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart. Go. Deploy. Let's go. Go up from here. You. And the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, you spent time with all these people, right? 
to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring, I will give it to you. I will send an angel before you even. Come on, people, let's do this, he's saying. I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Prezites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I'm not going with you. Oh, dude, really? What would you do? What would you do if God said that to you? Look at it, 40 years, 40 years of God bringing them out of slavery, 40 years of God blessing them, giving them all that they need to make it through the desert, the manna from the sky and the cloud and the fire and the guidance and everything that God did for them. Then Moses goes up to the mountain, spends time with God, and he comes down and everybody within a few days is now worshiping a golden calf that they built instead of the God that just helped them through this. And God's saying, that's it. That's it. Seriously? Uh, you, this is all this that I've given you, and then this is what you do. Uh, really, it, think of it this way: the blessings of God without the presence of God. That's what He just offered Moses. All right, I made a promise to you. This is God. And God is a God that keeps his promises. And he has made some promises to you. And you know what? He will keep those promises. He made a promise to them. And he said, here's, here's the promised land. I'll even send an angel to make sure you get there safely. Here it is for you. The land of milk and honey. But I'm not going with you. How would you respond to that? I think too much of this has, presented, has been presented today in our society, in our world, in our churches. I think too much has, has been presented this way, that we can, you, you can do good deeds, you can have enough faith to receive the promises of God. And if you have enough faith and you do enough good deeds, then you can have these promises. You can, you can not only just have the promises of God, you can actually go to heaven. But... You don't have to live with God here. You don't have to obey every rule. You can pick and choose what you want. And you don't have to spend time with God here on this earth. And my question to you would be, if you don't want to spend time with God here on this earth, why would you want to spend eternity with him? And I don't know that, that you can spend eternity with him if you don't want to spend time with him here. It's spitting in his face and saying, I, I don't want you here in this life, but I want you forever in heaven. That would be great. How would you respond if God said, deploy, go, but I'm not going to be with you? We have an assignment. I believe we have an assignment to put into action what we have discovered and what we have developed. And we cannot fill it. We cannot fill it without the presence of God with us. Moses, seeing the task in front of him, that it was too big that he couldn't take the people into the promised land without God. I want to read to you a quote. This is by um, David Platt. He's a famous pastor, um, large church. He, he has also moved on from that to oversee a, a whole missions department for a whole denomination, a Baptist denomination that he oversees all of this. Um, great author. He wrote this one time. He said, the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the glory of God in our world today is the attempt of the church 
of God, to do the work of God apart from the spirit of God. It kicks me right in the tail every time I read it. I'm like, oh, I gotta think about that. The glory of God. It's an attempt for the church of God to do the work of God apart from the spirit of God. It's our hindrance. He says, what if the problem is not the self-indulgent immorality that surrounds us in our culture? We can't blame the problem on everyone else but the self-sufficient mentality that plagues us in the church. Maybe we've lost sight of the need for God because we've lost sight of the enormous task that we have in front of us. What's our job? What have we been developed to do? What are we supposed to go do? And it's more than just helping those in need because anybody can do that. Social justice, you need some shoes, let's do a fundraiser, right? People need some water. Can we help figure this out? Social justice isn't it. It's deploying with the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of the saving grace. You can't do that alone. You've got to take the Holy Spirit with you. It's got to be a part of that. So Moses said it then. Look at this. A couple verses later. I'm still here in 33. 33 verse 15. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, then don't bring us up from here. It, the promised land, then I'm not going. I'd rather stay here with you than to go to the promised land, is what he was saying. If your presence will not go, don't bring us up from here. How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and with your people? How are people going to know it's you if you're not with me, is what he's saying. Is it not you going with us so that we are distinct, so people know our DNA, so people know why we're coming? It's you with us. And if you're people from every other people on the face of the earth, that's how we're known different. We're not just showing pity. It's not just social justice. We have a bigger purpose. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Say, I have a relationship with you. I trust you in this. I, we, we're together in this. And Moses said, then show us your glory. Then let's do it. Then let's go. Let's make this happen. I, I love the, the, this concept and this idea. I understand this, and I'm, I'm long. It's all right. Okay, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this part anyway because I think this is exciting and you've got to see this. Moses, what would happen is they had all these tents set up and all these tents were set up and Moses was the priest and he would walk down this, this line of tents. So all these tents, Moses was coming, they all say, Moses is coming, Moses is coming. They all rush out to the outside of their tents, the doors of their tents and they'd watch this man of God walk into the tabernacle and a cloud would come down and settle over the top of the tabernacle and into that and he was meeting with God. And all the people were so excited about this. Here is Moses, their, their leader, meeting with God. How, how cool is that to watch a man of God meet with God, right? When Jesus came, guess what happened? You became the tabernacle. You are now a host to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. 
You have this power. It doesn't, you don't have to trust in a man of God meeting with God to give you that power. You have that power. Take this power of the Holy Spirit with you. And get this, understand this. What we do here is not entertainment. I'm not an entertainer. Good grief. I'm not that good. All right, people. McCain brings in a lot better shows than what we put on here on a Sunday morning. Don't come here for entertainment. That's not our role. That's not what we do. This is not about entertaining. This is about equipping. What we do here on Sundays, what we do on our small groups is about equipping you so that you can be deployed. We do more than just develop believers. We don't want spiritually fat Christians hanging around here. Go exercise it. Go put it into action. Do something with it. Be deployed. And here's the last thing. I'm going to close with this quickly. Um, The Holy Spirit has to go with us, but the purpose, our purpose is different. Our purpose is different. I'm just not, I just don't want to help somebody to help somebody. I just want to help somebody to give them food to eat. Our purpose is different. It's more than compassion. It's, It's more than social justice. The purpose is to help them discover right? You get this? Here's the beauty of how this is set up. I want somebody else to discover what I have discovered. What I have discovered in my faith and in who Christ is in me, showing them Jesus, that's compassion. That's mercy. Not just giving them something to eat or drink, but showing them who Jesus is. And you see how it makes us loop. We discover, we develop, we deploy, we discover, we develop, we deploy. It's not a stair step. We don't arrive and you graduate from Crestview. Good job. Um, You keep going. And when you deploy, you discover. And when you deploy, others discover who he is. And if you truly believe in who Jesus is to you and what he's done for you, if you honestly understand that and you believe that with all of who you are, why would you not want to share that with somebody that doesn't know? Dude, don't hold that one back. Let them know. Help them discover what you have discovered. That's why we are good Samaritans. Let's do whatever it takes to complete that circle back to discovery. If you would, let's stand together. I'm going to let's sing.